0: Numbers chapter 12 verse 1, um, there's no part of this I could take out, uh, it would be better if we just read the chapter, it's not real long. If, if, if standing for a long period of time might bother you, just bend your knees a little bit, I, I, conducted many many weddings and there's a few people who do faint if you lock your legs the blood stops and if you fall over it may not be the lord if it is we won't know we'll just act and think that maybe you were just blessed numbers 12 verse 1 then miriam and aaron spoke against moses because of the ethiopian woman whom he had married For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Can you believe they had problems? (laughs) Way back then. So they said. Miriam and Aaron. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Rutro row. <laughs> to quote Scooby Doo, <laughs> I'm trying to broaden your horizons today with great philosophical statements. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. Because, of course, the tabernacle of Moses has not been established yet. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he's, he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? As I submit to you many times, the Lord never asks a question. He doesn't already know the answer. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and God departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow, an incurable disease. Then Aaron turned toward Marion and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, oh my Lord, his brother, please do not lay this sin on us. Maybe he was afraid he was going to get leprosy too in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, which of course in those days was a custom for shame, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days. And afterward, she may be received again. She'll be healed after seven days. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days and the people did not journey. Think of it. They didn't go anywhere till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people moved from Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. And I speak for a moment today from the appointment when men are not afraid to speak now father we need your help today you gave it and I'm thankful for it let the people receive it with readiness of mind and I pray that your spirit would be here and we want you to speak into our lives so word of God speak Pour down like rain today and wash us and cleanse us. We are washed by the water of the word in Jesus' name. Lift your hands today with me and just thank him for this now. Thank you, Lord. Word of God speak. Amen. Everyone said amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Just put your Bibles behind you or beside you and just clap your hands as an offering to God. Come on, let's do it together. It happened a summer or ago. On July the 2nd, authorities say a construction worker... Suspended from a crane, managed to rescue a woman from the Des Moines River in downtown Des Moines, Iowa. The water spills over a man made fall there. The current is powerful. At the base of the waterfall, there's a swirling undertow. Not everyone who falls there survives that kind of current. How she fell is anyone's guess, I suppose. The casual reader, which was me, was never given the details of the fall, but the assumption is pretty much the same. A raging current, too close to the edge, and perhaps the propensity to slip. Such is the case with fallen humanity. A raging current, too close to the edge, and yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For a moment this morning, I'll borrow our elders' words, Raymond Woodward's description that he gave us a few years back. He said, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. I'll say it this way, initial, process, finish. To be saved is the message of Peter to thousands who gathered in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. They came to offer their personal lambs, never knowing who would be offered for them. Nicodemus found out about the initial step to be saved. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again of the water and of the spirit. You must be born again. Don't marvel, Nicodemus. You must be born again. No one goes to heaven. Jesus said this. No one sees or enters heaven without being born again of the water and of the spirit. And Peter gave, Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. And Peter stood up and preached those exact words. When he delivered the keys to the kingdom of heaven in Jerusalem, Peter said, repent and be baptized, this is the gospel, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Ghost. It's a rescue. It's the lowering of the divine to make himself in the image of his own creation, so he could offer in the physical what the spirit realm could not, blood. Blood. Peter said that just as Noah was saved by water, even baptism saves us. Paul said that when we were baptized, we put on Christ and that we're buried with him in baptism so that we can be raised back with him. He said, if the same spirit, the Holy Spirit that raised up the body of Jesus Christ dwell in you, he will raise you up also saved. The initial saved. It's the Bible rescued from the raging waters of sin. He rescued me. That has been the message for thousands of years. It didn't end there because there will come a day and the last will finish. When the last trumpet of God will sound and we'll be caught away to meet the Lord, one day we will have a reunion with Jesus in the air and we will walk through a gate made out of a single pearl so grand and large. There is no comparison. The pavement of that city is transparent gold. In heaven, there are no more tears or sickness or anxiety. In heaven, there are no more struggles or hunger or sadness. There are no bills from Duke Energy. Incredibly enough, the light in heaven is always on. Because that's the city where the Lamb is the light. And where a river flows with crystal clear water from the throne of the One. Whose garment is translucent in color we've yet to understand is saved. We will be saved. It's the bookend of the three places of salvation. The first is born again which Jesus spoke of. The last is the rapture, the catching away of the bride of Christ in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. But today my time is spent about the middle. Tombstones give special attention to the day of birth and the day of death. But those are just moments. They are whispers juxtaposed against the clamoring noise of 30,000 days, which is the now new revised lifespan of the American life. The middle, where the greatest friend is truth, the greatest purpose is the kingdom, and the greatest accomplishment is a race well run that ends with the same offering as a reward. Well done. The middle where the greatest opposition is self and the greatest battle is flesh and the greatest objective is to keep my words. He said, he that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life. All that I do and all that I say is in the middle and the challenge is to be saved in the middle, Paul wrote, and whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, word or indeed, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Everything I do, word or indeed, do in the name of Jesus. The initial is saved, its accomplishment with signs like. Tongues and tears and worship and perhaps laying on of hands. The end of saved features crowns and robes and ultimately to know even as I am known. And yes, let me quote the scripture, to be face to face with the Lord. But in the middle, that's where the battle is from birth to death. It's all about what I do and what I say. Words and deeds, they become the conclusion Of the totality of our lives. The middle is where we all battle. Not necessarily with demonic spirits or worldly attractions. Though I'm certain that there is a battle there. The middle, however, is where I feel the tug of war in myself like Paul wrote. Whether to walk in the light or in the darkness. Whether to live a life pleasing unto the Lord and trust him. Regardless of the circumstances that come my way. Or to live a life of temporal pleasures that make me feel good. But lead me away from the cross of selflessness. The hallmark of that battle is found in my own tongue because my words lead my thoughts. Words define who I am. They are creators of atmospheres. They are released like a fisherman's hook, bringing back the very thing that I cast, but in greater measure. <laughs> mercy for mercy. Judgment for judgment. Patience for patience, honor for honor, anger for anger. My words and deeds make up the entire middle of my life. They drive people away from me like a bad cologne. Can I get a witness? Do you know that most people never ask prayer for halitosis? But I have on behalf would you come and stand in? I'm Okay, sorry, that's terrible. Because they don't know. My words drive them away, or they bring me into open arms of acceptance. Sadly, and perhaps not unlike all those who came before, we all have a need to say something and to say it quickly, even though the Bible clearly states, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow. Speaking speak and slow to wrath. We want to say it so quick. So the first emotion we have, we get out our phones and... The unkept words kindles a fire that no extinguisher can put out. And the tongue is a fire. Luke, but the angel of the Lord said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias! For thy prayer is heard. You've been praying for this all, this all this time? And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. But of course, Zacharias scoffed at that. And he said, I'd like to have a sign. And I don't know if this is going to happen because we're old. And the angel said, am I not the one who stands before God? And because you said the wrong thing, you're going to be dumb for five to six months. How many fathers... How many soon to be fathers have been dumb for six months? And a bunch of ladies just went, mm-hmm. almost the entirety of her pregnancy, he's dumb. I'm not telling you anything new. Sitting at the table, and Tammy is like seven months along. And somebody says to her, How are you sleeping? I thought they were talking to me. I said, I'm fine. (laughs) Uh He couldn't speak for a long time. What if every time you said the wrong thing? You had to walk around with a clipboard, dry erase. (laughs) Pass the salt, please. (sighs) Uh Numbers chapter 12. Moses has married a woman from Ethiopia. And Aaron and Miriam somehow have a problem with it. God doesn't have a problem with it. The most revered man to ever live among the people in all of Israel is under scrutiny from within his own family. Maybe it was familiarity that caused them to decide that they could say whatever came to mind. They said, aren't we just as good as Moses? Doesn't God use us just the same as... As he uses us. And they talked against him because of who he married. I cannot say why everyone thinks that God is on vacation when we open up our mouth to talk. When in fact Jesus said that all idle words are going to be accounted for in the day of judgment. I don't know why people think the Lord's on vacation. But Aaron had just been too long with Moses. Too comfortable with him. He was after all the appointed high priest Aaron. And Miriam looks like the ladies ministry director. Sister Heather, sorry. No relation. She also looks like the choir leader, perhaps even the songwriter. And they are used to Moses, and they are used of the Lord, and they defiantly look across to Moses when they should have been looking up to him. They put him on their level just to point out what their opinion was of this, they thought, unsuitable union. And to make it worse... They spoke it. Their thoughts were given breath. Just as God breathed life into us and made us a living soul, the one thing that cannot die, our soul, so too they gave breath, they gave life to their vain thoughts. Here and Theirs, of course, in our day is a Starbucks conversation. It's a Facebook post. Some Instagram message. It's a little dinner conversation about what they think. When God decides to join the conversation and the discussion, and the first thing that God tells them when he gets in the conversation is where to stand. I won't belabor the type here, only to say that the place of his pronouncement is always a holy place. There's no pretense where he stands, no no confusion, no impurity. Wherever he is, it's holy. That's why he told Moses in the burning bush, take off your shoes because where you're standing now is holy. He wants to speak. He so longs to say something to us. But we have a tough time giving him room. We want him to speak from our designated place. We want him to relate from our low level of understanding. When all along he's speaking from his holy hill. God tells all three of them. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Where to stand. And then God says. Through a pillar of cloud. If there's a prophet. Which so many are enamored with. Then and now. In every age, the prophet, of course, is revealed, coveted, and for good reason. God said, however, if there's a prophet among you, I speak to him in visions and dreams. And to some others, in riddles like parables, cloaked meanings. Among the greatest of you, I say things that must be pondered, perhaps deciphered. But when I talk to Moses, I talk to him face to face. There are no puzzles or mysteries when I'm I'm finished speaking to Moses. God said to Aaron and Miriam, when I talk to everyone else, I give them impressions, inspirations, in dark sayings. But when I talk to him, I make it clear. It's mouth-to-mouth communication. And that was the qualification of Moses to Aaron and Miriam. That's it. How he spoke, how God spoke to him. That, was, that qualified him. The difference is how he delivered his divine message. And then comes the question... How is it that you were not afraid to speak? And the middle is filled with words and deeds. It's filled with voices. Because we were made to speak. You were made to talk. Our voice was made to praise. Even Jesus said... If the purpose of the creation will not praise me, then I'll open up these stones and the rocks will cry out to praise me because they were meant to praise. Our voice. Here, here, everybody. Our voice. Our choice. My voice. My choice. And I'll tell you something that happens when we praise and we will offer ourselves to praise. I'm telling you what happens every time we get in this house and sing praises unto God. It's more than the gen- generational uh, de- generating of our lungs and air passing through the larynx, those vibrations, vibrating the vocal cords and then folding over the articulators, the pitch and the sound. No, 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 there's more than that. My choice, the middle is filled with my choice. I'm saved and the initial, I've been rescued. But the dash in between those days are filled with what I say and the, the small thing that you see is really the large thing that we live and my personal will is written all over it I'm learning how to lend my voice to praise I'm learning how to lend my voice to worship I'm learning how to give God glory even when I don't understand everything out of my mouth I'm going to force myself you're going to say the right thing you're going to control something you're going to speak it out of your mouth I'm not afraid to rebuke the devil i rebuke the devil many times and all kinds of things I'm not afraid to make my request known to God with thanksgiving I'm not afraid to be bold and speak the name of Jesus I'm not ashamed to pray in public or to call on the name of the Lord but if I want to get to the last book in Of being saved then I have to guard my words because my words from my words Jesus said I'm either justified or I'm condemned by my own words So why are we not afraid to speak? Why are we so free with our words? Don't we know that they define our very day what I say to Tammy in our own home sets the mood of our home One word in our house Changes everything. It doesn't matter how many candles are lit or if a soft Christian radio station is playing. It doesn't matter if everything's good. If I walk in and I say the wrong thing. Some things don't even need to be said. Do I look fat in this dress? (sighs) I just heard her voice. Watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. Uh Yeah, And what did you say? What did you say when they asked you? Well, not like the other one. (laughs) One word sets all the difference in your house because your words set the atmosphere. And one horrible word sets... One word can make everything. A negative word, ladies and gentlemen, is a virus that is caught. Most people run from someone coughing without covering their mouth. This is one of the worst flu seasons that we've had in our country. People are coughing, I say you get a Kleenex, get a towel, stay home. What would you think of someone who walked by you and just hacked and coughed and hacked and coughed? They never covered their mouth. They never covered them up. What would you think of that? But we willingly open up our lives to hear the negative word. And it makes me wonder, is there no fear left? It would be better for a sick person to cough on you without their mouth covered. Than for you to hear something that you can't get rid of with antibiotics. I'm speaking today from my appointment. Marion became leprous for seven days and she was put out of the camp until God healed her. The Bible says that the entire congregation of people did not move until she was brought back again. The people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. No movement until we get the right words in the right place. So, in this sense, ladies and gentlemen, no fear of what we say means no movement for the church. You want this house to move forward in growth and prosperity and powerful end time revival? Do you want to see miracles and signs and wonders and authority and revelations? Use your voice for praise and worship and and obey the scripture when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and he said let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Because the movement of this entire house very well may hinge on a healthy fear of speaking correctly to one another and about one another. I tell you, it's a family thing. You're not going to get this in the business world. This is a family thing. This is the blood-bought child of God, church, bride of Christ. It's a family thing. Aaron did not get the punishment of leprosy. Most scholars say that had he been punished with leprosy, he would have never been allowed in the priesthood he would forever have been banished from the priesthood and moses needed aaron to be in his place god did not give him leprosy but please don't think for a minute that god told aaron where to stand rebuked aaron and only punished miriam don't think that aaron's unfettered unbridled words infected his family and two oldest sons Caught the brunt of most of it. Aaron brought his words home and the infection grew into something more than he could possibly handle or imagine. See, we are like our Creator and our words are developing something beyond us. It never ends. When I cannot hear the sound of my own voice, my words have not ended. We found out the extension of God's creation in 1925. Doesn't everybody remember that? I think three people. It was January the 1st, the first day of the year. Come on, everybody remembers that, you know, etched in history. That was, the, that was the day when Edwin Hubble gave his most profound presentation to the American Astronomical Society. He gave this incredible presentation. We once thought that the Milky Way galaxy was the sum of the cosmos until Mr. Hubble stood up. And Mr. Hubble showed evidence that, in fact, the universe is still expanding by a factor in those days 100,000 times. Almost a century later, the Hubble telescope has spied an estimate 200 billion other galaxies, which most scientists say today that's at least 10 times too low. So when God spoke the galaxies and the stars into existence, God's word is ever-expanding. It has never stopped. The galaxies upon galaxies keep flourishing It's ever expanding. His word is ever expanding. And so is mine. So is yours. Like Jonathan to his covenant friend. The Bible says that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Jonathan used his words to protect his friend. Even from his own father. My father is looking for a chance to kill you. So be on guard tomorrow. Go in hiding. Stay there. I'll go out, I'll stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you. I'll tell you what I found out. I'm going to protect you. The word. Those words didn't end in that moment. They expanded even past the point of Jonathan's death. Because when the dust all settled, and the kingdom had been ripped from Saul and all of his sons, and they were all gone and dead... When David was finally crowned over a united kingdom And David looked for someone to bless He said is there anyone left Of the house of Saul and of Jonathan That I can bless And they came to him and said There's one left But he's a wounded man He's crippled He's poor His name is Mephibosheth That's a $50 word on Scrabble He's the son of Jonathan And David blessed the son of Jonathan And protected him All the rest of his life Because the words of Jonathan lasted far longer than his own life ever expanding. Words of protection begat deeds of the same. And Aaron, he just didn't get it. So he opened up his mouth. He infected his sons so that they lost the importance of the things of God. No, he didn't get leprosy. He just brought a different type of sickness into his house. Leviticus tells us that one day Nadab and Abihu, the two oldest sons, the sons of Aaron, they took their censers because they, they were working for the tabernacle. And they put fire in them, but it wasn't the right kind of fire. And the Bible says that they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not And there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. And when they died, when the fire of the Lord devoured them, leaving nothing more than a smoldering pile of ashes that gathered at the feet of their father, Moses turned to his brother Aaron and said, don't cry for them and don't rip or rend your garments, just carry out the ashes. Aaron's unguarded words didn't keep the congregation grounded like that of Miriam. But his unafraid commentary about Moses opened the door of criticism in his own home and it metastasized into something we would consider a lifestyle. See, Nadab and Abihu didn't think that their words mattered. At least their father's words didn't matter. And they got that from their dad. And it led them into thinking that any old fire was good enough. In essence, nothing was sacred. Were you not afraid to speak? Why are you not afraid to speak? See, words are leading your children in and out of holiness. Every time you get around the house and call out somebody who's a hypocrite, you're leading them right out of holiness. Every time you look at a church person and say, well, they're praising God, they're speaking in tongues, they're doing all that kind of stuff, but you know what, they're not living right. Every time you open up your mouth and you speak those words out of your mouth, you're leading your family right down a road. You may not have leprosy, but they'll have a problem later on in life because you spoke the wrong words. And not a few children have been lost when their parents were saved. Words are the vanguard of healthy marriages. I love you, Tammy. I care about you. You're the love of my life. You're sweet. You're kind. But you burn the cookies every time. (laughs) But I know you treat me like a God because the burnt offerings can be smelled through the kitchen. (laughs) Tammy walked by the other day. She had something on. It looked good. And I turned to Roman. I said... Your mama's hot," he said. "You are weird, man. Get out of here." <laughs> it's kind of gotten to our dog, Ava, our boxer. Every time I go to hug, hug Tammy and kiss her, the dog jumps on us and tries to separate us, like one of the kids. The words create my healthy relationship. But they can also be the reason why your relationship is anemic. Because men, you come home and men, you don't share any good thing. But instead, you are a suspect of your wives. And critical of them. And you set the atmosphere. It takes them a long time to get over. They got to press their way into liking you. <laughs> Ladies... You find your spouse, your husband comes, and the first thing out of your mouth is your daily frustration. And all of a sudden, he has spent his allotted words in the day. He's got mostly grunts and, mm-hmm. and he can't even assimilate all of that. He can't assimilate all of that. And then we want to know, why are we having trouble in our marriage? I'll tell you why you're having trouble in marriage. Because you didn't know how to use your your words correctly. All of it has to be done in the name of Jesus. For the glory. Unto the glory of God and the Father. All all of it. Wait, wait, wait. Did, Did we just think that that verse was just for baptism, marriages, funerals, baby dedications? That's for your entire life. Your entire life. Words are leading us. They lead us into vows and to covenant. Hear me, all of you that are about to get married this year. and Some of you who don't know you're going to get married, but you might later. here, <laughs> here pastor. When you speak the vow, you speak your covenant. And your word becomes who you are. But of course... Your words could also da- dismantle the same. And in some cases, words are releasing joy and peace and forgiveness. And in other cases, they're opening doors. Uh-oh, that should never be opened. I ask you, why are we spending so much money guarding our homes with a security system? ADT. It's guarding our homes. We've got these incredible apps now. You can walk around with your phone. You can see Every room in your home with little cameras, they got doorbells with cameras on them. You know, the doorbells of cameras. Here's the camera. Here's the doorbell. The bad guy comes up. He looks and, you know, you hear the sound. The guy says, I see you. The guy runs away. That's a dumb thief anyway. They've been watching those commercials too. They got a roll of duct tape with them and a mask. They come up, they put it over the camera, and then they go, just take your house. Why are we spending all that money? Guard dogs? Did you know that there's there, there there's been a trend even in the metropolitan areas of guard roosters? They will peck you to death? Huh? Do you guys know do you know what's actually going on out there? Comfort animals? A peacock? A chicken? They're trying to bring these animals on planes? This is my iguana, some guy has, a, has an alligator. and we just tell you, he is not your friend. He's going to eat you. My sister calls those people too dumb to live. Anyone who has a pet python, you fit the category. <laughs> Why are we spending so much time guarding our homes and all this stuff, cameras and sounds, car alarms? I was in the office earlier this morning and someone's car alarm was going off. It was going off. Thank God you got it stopped. Car alarms. We have valuables and safes and safety deposit box. When the most crucial thing to guard is our tongue. And from the scripture, it looks like we are the only creation that struggles with this problem. Problem. Because the earth and the galaxies and the lights are all set in motion according to his will. They all move and sink in perfect harmony according to the will of him who set them in order. The plants and animals all serve their purpose according to his divine command. They give life and color and food and they replenish themselves over and over and over again for our benefit. Even the oceans pause at the borders out of an honor to his spoken word which is established forever. It doesn't stop there. Consider this. Are you ready? The angels are guarded too. The angelic angel, the host. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, writes one letter in the Bible. He, he writes one page. It's all but 25. His book is 25 verses long, though I'm certain he could have written volumes. He grew up with the incarnate God, after all. Jude describes the body of Moses when Moses died. God buried the body of Moses in an unknown location. No one knows where Moses was buried because God did not want that to happen. In fact, the Lord did the internment all by himself. Most people would submit that had Moses been buried in the sight of the congregation of the people, they would have made idols to him, sacrifices before his tomb. Jude pulls back the curtain on the spiritual reality that we cannot see when two powerful beings are arguing over the body of Moses. Yet Michael the archangel this is what Jude said even Michael the archangel when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of Moses durst not or did not bring against him a railing accusation but just said the Lord rebuke thee Michael the archangel was careful not to speak a slanderous accusation against the devil think of that he guarded what he said Peter said as much when he wrote these words in 2 Peter 2.9. The Lord knows how to rescue the righteous. He knows when to judge the, judge the unrighteous. He knows how to rescue you and judge them. Peter said, oh yes, and about those who are unrighteous, God's know, God knows how to deal with those who have a sinful, perverse nature and also those who despise authority. Peter said in verse 10 that some people are presumptuous and self-willed and they, and I quote, are not afraid to speak of evil dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord. I'll read it in the New King James Version. Second Peter two nine, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, how to reserve the unjust for punishment to the day of judgment. Especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. Those are the ungodly, and those who despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. Here it is. They are not afraid to speak. Evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against before the Lord. Angels, powerful, supernatural, with authority unknown to mortal man. The angelic host. The Bible says one of the angels killed in one night 850,000 men. And there are hundreds and hundreds of millions and millions of them. The angels, which move in a dimension that we can barely bend our minds around, greater in power, greater in might, even they are guarded. Although the angels in heaven who stand in the very presence of God far greater in power and strength than these false teachers never speak out disrespectful against these evil mighty ones. You see the middle, ladies and gentlemen, our voice What we say, how we pray, one word, healing or hurting, our praise, our sound. The gospel that saves needs a voice. The gospel that heals needs a voice. Your family that needs to be healed needs your voice. But an accusation that kills, it also needs a voice. Encouragement that lifts up, it needs a voice. But so does pessimism and cynicism. That needs a voice. Everything good or bad has to have a voice to propel it and to send it into motion for creation. Perhaps I am most like my creator when I speak. His voice spoke things into his existence and so does mine. The church has got to move. We've got to advance forward. We have to go on to glory and glory like we sing about. But if we're not careful, if we're not guarded, our unguarded words will be like the wedges of gold in the tent of Achan. Israel lost an easy battle against Ai because Achan took what did not belong to him. God can stop the sun in its tracks. And he can stop everything in the same. Now I'm done. And I'm going to read a verse and then we're going to, we're going to pray it. I'm going to bounce around a little bit here, but we'll get to the last one. That's the one we have to pray. We have to put it in our vocabulary. It's Psalm 19. The heavens are telling about the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard, except their voice cannot be heard, but they move in perfect sync to the ends of the world. It kind of means that they're speaking, but there's no sound. There's, there, there, there is a message, but there's no utterance. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, who is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. The sun rejoices like a strong man running his race. Its rising is from one end of the heaven to the other, the sun, and its circuit to the other end. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts my soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes the wise the simple. Not the other way around. It makes the wise the simple. It takes all those complex things and all those moments of confusion it breaks them down into a a little bite-sized nugget that we can take and live on. The statutes of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It lightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord, hear it, is clean, endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true, and they are righteous altogether. More to be the desire today than gold. Yea, much more than Krugerrands. That's not in the Bible, but I just thought that was a good analogy. You don't know what that is. It's a nice gold coin. I don't have one. Sweeter than also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Here's verse 13. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let, that not, let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright. And I shall be innocent. Don't put this scripture up yet. From the great transgression. Now stand. And here's our word for today: Psalm 19:14: Put it in your doorstep. Put it in your marriage. Put it in your home. Put it at your dinner table. Put it on your Facebook page. Put it at your Starbucks, Starbucks table. Put it with your children. Put it among the congregation of the people. Make it part, make it the filter of everything that goes out of your mouth. Let the words, come on, let's say it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Come on, say it. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation, let what I say and what I think about be right. Let me what I... Whatever I say. Let me pause. I thought it, but I didn't want to put it into creation. It came into my mind, but I don't want to put it into circulation. I had a twinge in my heart, but I didn't want it to stop the congregation or infect my own family. So before I say it out of my mouth, the last thing I want to do is invite god into the discussion he don't have to come lord because i've just filtered my life with what's acceptable in your sight